Hi and welcome to Beyond All My Expectations. It's me, Nikki Barola, and today we're here with Toby Oradeni, who's the founder and CEO of Black Ballad. Hi, Toby. Hi, Nikki. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. A little tired, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing you're still in the working from home phase of lockdown three or four? Yes. I think we're going to be working from home, like, even when lockdown ends. So, yeah, working from home. Okay, also no plans to go back into the office anytime soon for you? No, we were thinking about it as a team and I think it doesn't make sense this year. I think we're just conscious of we're a black team and all the stats that surround black people and COVID. So I think as a, you know, as the boss, I think I've just made that decision. I think it's best and safer if we all work from home this year and then we think about an office next year. Okay, yeah, that's really good. I think yeah, on my end, I'm, you know, very much homebound until 2022 where we hopefully are all vaccinated and then you know yeah. it's nicer to go into an office space but I do I do miss the camaraderie but it's also like mm, safety over banter <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah all right then so as I said it's Toby already here today and she's the founder and CEO of Blackfellas but as usual we're going to have our guests introduce themselves and just see how she presents herself over to you Toby just tell us something about yourself my name is Toby Oradain. I am the founder and CEO of Black Ballad. Black Ballad is a media and data company for and by Black women in Britain and beyond. And outside of Black Ballad, I have been a journalist uh, for about 10 years and I've written for other publications beside Black Ballad that include BBC, Stylist, The Independent, Guardian. So yeah, that's what I do. That's who I am professionally. I think you, and who are you personally, Toby? Who am I personally? I am a... 31-year-old British-Nigerian Londoner, mum of one, who loves nothing more to watch This Is Us, A Modern Family. That's pretty much sums up who I am, probably. I love that. I feel like I'm the only person not caught up on This Is Us, but it got too sad and I couldn't watch so much sadness in pandemic. Yeah, but uh, This Is Us, it's just, it's just too good. Like, it's just, it's so emotional. Like, I, I recommend it for everybody. Like, yeah. And if you don't want anything that's super emotional, Modern Family's, like perfect that's easy breezy yeah I'm gonna jump back into this as us I just needed to take a break because I thought oh my god like you can't be crying this much every week it was getting concerning I think it like replaced Grey's Anatomy what Grey's Anatomy used to do to me because early Grey's Anatomy oh my god I'd be weeping you watch Grey's Anatomy I'm like everyone should watch the first like seven seasons it just it's really quality tv and then you know it sort of it gets a bit you know laborious but first seven seasons stellar yeah I'm not into kind of medical and police dramas they're not really the things that I watch so yeah I'm not in yeah I've never watched those yeah no no no. I I do see the police one um because I had to give up Brooklyn Nine-Nine this year and I was like well, last year, I didn't know. I was like, mm, yeah, I should have thought about this a lot deeper in the past, but I couldn't unsee certain things after um, 2020. Then, So thank you so much um, for introing yourself, Toby. So you talked about your, you know, personal, professional, and as with Beyond All My Expectations, we're going to be trying to, you know, talk about both in tangent throughout the conversation. The first thing I want to talk about is Toby, the journalist. So you said you've been a journalist for 10 years. You yeah. talked to us about your coming into the industry. So what was the driving force be- behind you coming wanting to be a journalist? I have always loved magazines. Like I like I'm I've re- like very specifically like I liked magazines as a kid. So when my parents used to do the Friday night shop in Sainsbury's 
I would be at the magazine aisle reading all the magazines. And I was just fascinated with, I guess, how how these women were having conversations in these pages and how they were putting together sentences and words. And I don't know what it was. You know, I didn't feel the same way about newspapers. I didn't even feel the same way about books. And then for my 12th birthday, my dad asked me what I wanted. And I said, I wanted a subscription to Cosmo Girl. And he was like, okay. Um, <laughs> for my first day, I got a subscription for Cosmo Girl. I had that subscription for about two, three years. It gets sent to my house every month, and I would literally like read like this magazine back to front multiple times. I'd be the person in the playground, which was just sitting there reading this magazine, and I was just fascinated again by how people were putting together, I guess, different words, how they were telling stories, how a whole magazine would you know fit under a theme. But in this, when I was reading it. I didn't see black, you know, black teenagers in these magazines. Um, I remember I got really gassed once when um, Cosmo used to do these things like dilemmas, like, oh my God, you know, like, I I like this boy and I tripped over at lunch and now he thinks I'm clumsy, like, what should I do? You know those silly things that they would obviously make up. (laughs) And I remember the illustration once was a black girl and I felt so like, oh my God, like black people exist to them. I always remember that and I always remember I, I think I now as I got older knowing that that shouldn't have been a feeling yeah. that that shouldn't have been like oh my god I'm so happy because someone just seen me one time I couldn't relate to any of the makeup tips I couldn't relate to any of the hair tips every person you know you know whether it be a model or you know you know they'd put sometimes pictures of the people that wrote there they were all white and I but I still I still loved these magazines I still I still had a, an affinity for them but I just, you know, the older I got, the more I realised that I wasn't in these magazines. So that's kind of what pushed me to want to be a journalist and specifically a women's lifestyle journalist. It was literally this love of love affair I was having with magazines and specifically Cosmo Girl. And that was why I wanted to be a journalist. And I think for a split second, I thought about being a teacher, but I have, you know, my best friends who've known me since I was 11. I've never wanted anything else to part, apart from being um, a journalist. That's really interesting, just the idea of the relationship with magazines and that being different from like newspapers and books. Because I'm thinking back to what it is I used to feel for magazines when I was younger. And I think I get a sense of what you're saying, because I think it was this idea like this is a snapshot of real people's lives. It's like someone's telling their story, but it's like it's this idea like a little moment in your life can matter in like but in this very beautiful form. Yeah. so I, so I was going to say, and I think another thing is, you know, I love the fact that you would get to see what makes people tick. You know, yeah. you'd get to read an interview with someone and then like you get to see like how they think and like, you know, what inspires them. And I always want to have those conversations. I wanted to understand what makes people tick. You know, I can't sing, so I'm never going to be like a performer on stage, but I love music. And like, I, you know, I obviously I love pop culture, like most people, but I think it's really interesting when you get a good interview, you understand what has inspired those people and what makes them tick. That's super interesting to me. And I thought that's what women's magazines actually did very, very well. That they would take a person who was very popular at that moment and a good interview would let you know what had inspired them, what makes them, what motivates them, what are their successes and challenges. And I, I loved I loved that insight that these magazines was providing in a very accessible way. You know, when you're younger, newspapers can be very intimidating. And they're, you know, newspapers are not written for teenagers. You know, they're yeah, not... They're, the language they're not, is very 
Yeah, it's what my dad would read. Yeah. So I really liked the fact that, you know, these magazines, they understood that, you know, I think at the time of my life when I was a teenager, you know, I wanted something that was very intelligent that I could easily connect with to understand different people and what inspires them. So yeah, magazines are very important to me and I've had I've had a rocky relationship with some of them, but yeah, they're really important to me. Yeah, I think, yeah, we're going to probably jump into those rocks now, not as... <laughs> Not that uh, literally, but I want to talk about, you know, going from being a consumer to, you know, actually working in the industry. At what point, at what age did you think, did you see yourself being able to work in the industry? When did you understand yourself as more than a consumer of magazines and think, and start thinking, oh, actually, I want to do this work and I can maybe do this work? I think from the moment I was like eight or nine, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. This I can do this. Like, I can. I, I think I think the thing, you know, it's kind of dwindled a bit, if I'm honest. I think, you know, with, you know, age comes experience, comes wisdom, comes yeah. you know. But, you know, I was like, this is what I want to do. And I, I still have that personality. I think my, you know, my other half would say that and probably my team would say that. Like, when I want to do something, kind of get my way. Like, I, this, is, this is it. And I think there was no other option for me but to be a journalist, I think if I wasn't a journalist, I felt like it was a failure. Like it was going to be the biggest failure of my life. There was no wow. other option. There was, you know, I did work experience in a PR um, agency. Wasn't for me. I literally used it to get an internship into a company magazine at the time. I literally wow. used it. Um, any way I could, I was I was going to do it. So about eight or nine, I realised that was what I wanted to do. And then I think... Probably at about 17, I worked out the path of how I was going to do it. And I think that was the transition. So I wanted to do it. I knew I could do it. But at 17, that was when the, I started figuring out what was the path to me doing it. Okay. And I, what did figuring out look like? What did figuring it, it out to look like for you? So I, it, you know, I, from school or just personal? Probably a bit of both. I had a part-time job in Oasis magazine. Yeah. And I really wanted work experience. And I really, I just knew that, you know, you know, if you're going to apply to like Elle and Vogue, Marie Claire, they're all super, you know, you know, the chances was that they was going to be, you know, inundated by internships. I used to call up, like when I was 15, 16, I used to find numbers and call up people and be like, do you have any work experience? I was like, no, we're fully booked. And I did that for like a year. So everyone was fully booked. And, you know, of course, you've just got some teenager at the end of the phone. So of course, they're probably, you know, they're not going to give me an internship. But because I, I generally thought everyone was fully booked, I was like, I'm not going to get an internship there without some significant experience. Yeah. So I was working in Oasis and I realised that they had a magazine, a fashion magazine. So I asked if I could do some work experience there for free. Yeah. Worked there for a bit. Then realised and figured out that PR was really close to journalism. And then I asked to do an internship in their PR office for about six months. And then what happened was Company Magazine was doing a shoot about well-dressed interns and they called up Oasis and they was like, yeah, my intern dresses really well, actually. And I'm, they said, do you want to go on this shoot? And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. And so I went to this shoot about like what I wear to my internship. And I basically asked them, I was like, can I have an internship with you guys? And they was looking at me and I was like, can I have an internship? And they was like, this is really bullshit. But bullshit, yeah. And then I, we swapped emails. I emailed back. They gave me a month-long internship. And then just the fact that I was able to do company magazine allowed other magazines to see that I could do, like, different things. And that's how it all started. So I, I think 
I realized that I had to use where I was. And, you know, that part-time job at Oasis, it wasn't just about me working on the tills and, like, earning some money. Yeah. Yeah. It was about how could I use that platform to get to where I wanted to be? And literally, that was something that I, you know, would always say to everybody that, like, wherever you are, wherever you want to be, that connection isn't as far as you think it is. It's about you just kind of thinking about taking a different alternative path but using where you are okay so I'm listening to this and you're talking about very strategic thinking for a 16 17 18 year old and you're talking about it like it's this commonplace thing and just like yeah and I just thought you know if I go a b would happen and c I feel like one that maybe I'm misunderstanding 16 year oldhood or not misremembering 16 year oldhood but where did where did this like strategic thinking come from what where did you have you know this understanding that you know if I if I plan and execute in certain ways I will get xyz results and now, where did this come from? That definitely came from like my teachers at school. So I've said this before in interviews, majority of my teachers at school were black. Oh. Um, yeah. Where did yeah. you go to school? Uh, Canning Town, Eastleigh. Okay. I think I had like three white teachers, everyone was black. So like this is, so when everyone tells me this is unusual, me and my best friends are like, no, all teachers are black, no. So like, and my English teacher is probably, probably the black woman probably had the biggest influence on my life. And she used to say to me and my best friends that, you know, you're black and you're a woman, you are going to have to work twice as hard. But she was like the key. The motto in our school was, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Yeah. And that was from year seven, our head of year literally drove it into us if you fail to plan you plan to fail so everything is in preparation everything is in execution probably my husband says my biggest strength and biggest weakness is that I I prepare like I prepare for everything so this is something that was drained into drummed into me through my teachers that like especially as a black woman you have no choice but to prepare and over prepare you have plan b c d and e you know if you 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 don't have that choice as a you know a white woman where it's kind of like I'm gonna try this if it doesn't work it's okay yeah that doesn't happen and I think it's one of the greatest gifts that my teacher at school actually you know gave me was the fact of that as a young black woman everything is in preparation so I guess that strategic thinking about things is probably from school and it's something that even in black ballad you know when I'm when I'm leading something, I spend a lot of time thinking about things. I think I think a lot of time about where is this going? Where are the pitfalls for failure? Where are we going? Where can we pivot? It, it's it's I am an over preparer, but that has changed due to motherhood because <laughs> prepare. But preparing and strategic thinking comes from school, definitely. Um, that's fantastic to hear because I feel like when I speak to a lot of you know black people who grew up in London, they talk about. I don't really hear much about schools where it's predominantly black teachers, which I've always found interesting because I my assumption would be you know schools in London because of the makeup of certain parts of London, you see that reflected. But it's 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 annoying I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's sad it's annoying that that's not the norm because it should be the norm because I think yeah you do get a different sense of self when you're you know the teacher pool is reflective of you and also understands the journey you're going to take and can give you that right preparation for it 
Yeah, and I think also, you know, my teacher at school, they weren't just, the teachers weren't just black, you know, my head, my headmistress was a black woman, my head of year was a black woman, my deputy head was a black man, the head of the science department was a black woman, you know, so, no, they were just teachers, these, these were the, this was the leadership team. Yeah. Um, so, certain things did not fly. We didn't even learn history because them lot didn't even care about it. <laughs> <laughs> where we did the basics year seven and they was like yeah off the curriculum like we never went british museum like none of that they were not having it okay where is the school and how they multiply very quickly <laughs> no 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 oh, no. Yeah. no i think cause the difference for me is i started my education in nigeria so moving to the uk and having a switch of the com- like the schools looking completely different was it was yeah it was a fascinating journey but luckily my foundation was you know it's very Nigerian yeah. where why are you failing does is anyone else mm-hmm. do they have two heads like yeah. and it's just so that foundation probably not the health you know as healthy as you know probably what you got it was more like let's go um but I think yeah that gives you a different it gives you a different time which is great okay I think this is a great time to talk about black ballads because you pulled it up and you talked about you know you gave you gave us a description of black ballad which is you know a UK media house that just focuses focuses on you know telling the stories of black women by black women or oh, I'm now paraphrasing or adding my own bits to what I know and black ballad is what about five years old now or is it longer no so older rather oh it's older so I started Black Ballad as a free access blog in 2014. And then we obviously we did a crowdfund in 2016, but we relaunched in 2017 as the membership platform okay. that you see today. So what you see today is about four or five years old. So yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So yeah, overall it's going into its seventh year, but like the form is yeah. Now let's talk about so Black Ballad, 2014 Black Ballad. What drove you to say I'm creating the site and naming it Black Ballad at in 2014? <laughs> so God, um let me not swear on this podcast. <laughs> I mean one or two. <laughs> right. The journalism industry, the UK journalism industry is unkind to black journalists. The UK journalism industry is not fair to black journalists and I think that's true in 2021 and it was hella true in 2014. Um, I think that I was very naive and thinking that I was going to be able to break through barriers in 2014. I applied, I think I applied for like, if you've got 70 jobs in 2013, didn't get one, it's an incestuous industry, it's about who you know, it's about your social circle, especially women's lifestyle. Yeah. You know, if Becky's working at L <laughs> as, you know, a junior writer, Becky's next job is going to be entertainment writer at Cosmopolitan. And her next job is going to be a features editor at Marie Claire. And then her next, so it it's a circle. Everyone moves round. So it's very, so when people come in, it's because, you know, they've been invited in or, you know, someone really loves you and likes you and you know I was applying for these jobs I wasn't getting anything but I should say in 2011 2012 I had my first job a weekly entertainment magazine yeah and I'm not going to say who they are because I hated the job and I wouldn't even give them that satisfaction wow of, of um saying that I worked there and I was in the same media house as Marie Claire as Now Magazine, I don't even know if that's still going. So, you know, there was some high-profile women's magazines in that that building. Building, yeah. 
And I remember when my contract was up, I remember watching, I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to say it, the Marie Claire team, actually. And everybody looked like each other. It was actually freaky to me. They were very thin. They were very, mostly blonde, very slim features. It was was strange. I remember I actually did work experience at Marie Claire at one point, and there was actually a black woman that used to work there. She wasn't in this team anymore. And I don't know if it was just a certain department or, or maybe it was just an off day, but it was when something clicked in my mind and something said, that you don't fit what this industry is looking for. You don't look like them. Um, And it was really, and and I can actually even see in my mind now, they all sat around the table and it was so, they looked like clones of each other, all these, all these women. Very cookie cutter. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I said, yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to get a job in this industry. So I decided to freelance for a bit. And all this time I was really wondering where was this publication for black women who wanted more than hair? because you know we had we have a lot of hair magazines in in this this country but you know black women are more than their hair but I was wondering where was you know content that was really serious and political that could give great career advice you know like you know how like the stylist was when it first came out from a black perspective a black female perspective and also you know I did American studies at university I really loved, I mean, I know they've had their issues now, Essence and Ebony, but when they first came on the scene, what they were trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah, I really wanted, like, where was that? And, you know, I think the thing that really bothered me was I would read Media Diversified for, like, great opinion pieces, and I'd have to go to hair blogs and, like, really sort of, you know, I'm going to say underground black beauty blogs, and then I'd have to go somewhere yeah, I was going to too many places to find the content. And I was like, why can't it just all be together? And especially from a British or European perspective. So that was what I was thinking. And then I had a Tumblr blog called Brown Ballad, named after a Langston Hughes poem, The Ballad of a Girl Called Mud. And I just took inspiration from that and said it Brown Ballad. So these two things were going on in my mind in terms of where was this publication that I wanted. I was kind of doing this Tumblr blog where I was just kind of writing things, posting things that I liked. It wasn't, I didn't really share with anyone, but it was kind of like, I I think I was kind of forming what I'd like to see, if that makes sense. Yeah. So these two things were going on in tandem. And then I applied for a job at a a black British publication in the UK. Well, obviously if it's British, yeah, UK. And I didn't get it. I didn't get this job. And I looked at who got the job and she had less qualifications than me. I found that the editor didn't even look at my application. And (laughs) I remember calling my boyfriend, who's now my husband at the time, and said, I'm going to make a publication for black women. And I tell you now, it is going to kill that other publication. And it's so bad how things can fuel, fuel your fire. But I needed that fire. I was just like, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it bigger. Like, I tell you now, I will outlast this publication. And I actually have, by the way. Okay, <laughs> so, okay. so there is such a thing called righteous anger. There <laughs> <laughs> is. They know all anger is bad. It's not. It's not. It was. It was. It was the fuel that I needed. It was the fuel that I needed to do it. And you know what? I I, to do it well. Actually, I had a standard that I had to be better than. And I was just so sick of being rejected. And in all fairness, if I didn't get the job, that's fine. But the fact that I I didn't even really look at my, you know, shouldn't look at my CV application and people be like, maybe you're feeling entitled. 
Well, no, not when I had the CV that I had. I actually genuinely think I had a shot. And I think one thing I've learned is that if you don't have a sense of confidence in you, you will not achieve anything. If you do not feel that you, you shouldn't apply for a job if you don't feel that you should be the one to get it. You're wasting your time. And you have to have that sense of confidence in everything that you do, especially in careers. Like, why would you apply for something that you don't think you're going to get? It's not making sense. So I think it was the turning point. There was so many things going on in my mind about what I wanted to see in the media, what I wanted to change. And that rejection was the fuel that I needed. And Black Ballad is here and they're not. Um, I mean, that feels like a mic drop episode, but now we're going to keep going because one, we're not naming names, but also I think it's important we continue to understand what Black Ballad has been and what it is and what it's going to grow to be because I think Black Ballad is a platform I'm really, really excited about. And I remember, I remember being, oh, I think I was in third year of you. I don't remember timeframes anymore. And I get a DM from someone called Toby and they get from starting. And so Toby already is friends with another friend I have called Toby. There's so many Tobys in my life. I remember getting, because Toby had mentioned Black Ballads and Toby, the other Toby, oh, so many Tobys. And I'd only become friends in final year of uni for some odd reason. We just kept like missing. It was like um, two ships passing in the wind for two years. And he mentioned this in passing. And I, I see a DM and I'm just like, oh, this subscription thing starting and I was like oh I don't know that I can really afford this and I was also a bit disillusioned by the media at this point and, you know I was like oh well, that, like nothing really interesting I'm not really picking up magazines anymore and I just remember thinking oh this is a black British platform and I was like you know what yes I I don't I don't because I was broke by third year of uni I was like I'm, you know what negotiating with you in the dms i was like listen what can you pay like i don't mind and he was like i can pay this one i was like fine when i said i was looking at my account i was like i was like there was nothing inside of here <laughs> and toby was like what can you like we can and i think like i'm still paying that price by the way like all these years later i feel like we should change this um because i looked recently and i was like i'm paying really good price for black ballads i'm a bit concerned i remember this and i was like you know what i'm just gonna go ahead and support and we're just gonna see you know um how things go and i think i was also because i was about to do my postgrad in American literature so this is what Toby and I have something in common and I spent so much time reading about the blackface and what had been done in foundational spaces so you know when you go back to the way you know people like uh, Toni Morrison and you know Zoranil Hurston and, and they had these like writing spaces so I think thinking about this communal spaces I was like you know what let's 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 bet on a black woman and see what grows out of um, this and it's black ballad as is today but let's go back to the starting point when you were in dm telling people about black ballads what made you think we're gonna take this membership approach at a time where it was still quite a fledging it was a very very new platform and it was trying to break into an industry that did not have what black ballad sought to be yeah so the membership you know that my co-founder who happens to be my husband deserves all the credit for the membership it was his idea um so you know I'm a journalist by trade my my husband by trade is a digital consultant and he was at his job he was looking at the impact of technology upon media that was what he was looking at and he'll definitely agree that he's a geek and like he was reading this constantly and he was reading about the fact of the media was going to become less mass and that it was going to become more about communities and media platforms having a very specific individual individual audience and that niche didn't mean small and we were having these conversations and he was like and the way to make sure you have a sustainable media project a media um company is through memberships 
And I was like, nobody pays for media. Like no one, no one, no one pays for it. And you know, for eight months we went back and forth talking about this, should this be a membership, not. And then, you know, he said, can you read this? Can you read these things? And I started reading some stuff. And then I said, yeah, okay, we'll do a membership. And then we really deep about what this membership, what could this membership be? And, you know, what was offering then, but what was it what was it trying to be? Like, what was the, the five to 10 year plan? Yeah. Um, and we also decided to become a member really early on in our journey because we also knew if we did it too late, people were going to get too comfortable not paying for it. And that was going to be harder. So it was kind of, it was very much do or die. Like if the membership didn't work, we would have not carried on, if I'm honest. So, you know, it was... The fact that we had no choice because also advertisers as well at that time, they didn't care about advertising to black women. They didn't care about, you know, advertisers, they have a spend. So they may have like, just say a pound and they may spend like 60p with, you know, a mainstream publication that is reaching educated women, educated female millennials. And then there's like 30p on, you know, educated women at a Gen Z. And then, you know, there's another 30p hopefully my maths is fine and that might be for (laughs) it might be to go for baby boomers and then they're going to split the rest of that spend with whatever and Mm -hmm. often black women are not part of that spend yeah yeah and advertisements always what funded media and because we were just black women alone we weren't going to get that advertising. We weren't going to get that money. So we said, you know, let's do a membership. And also, I think one thing that I remember thinking about was also if black women were paying for this, it gave me accountability and it also gave people a connection. It, it was deeper. For, it's deeper for people. And if I was going to build, you know, Black Ballad is actually more about a community than it is a media product. And I think people don't actually always think about it like that. It's about you know, a community, you know, because we do events, you know, we, you know, we, we try to look at data. So it's all about this community. And that money isn't just about making sure it's sustainable. It's about making, making sure black women continue to be tied in this project. So that's where the membership idea came from. That's why we did it to be sustainable, to make sure black women felt tied to this product, to make sure we were accountable. And, you know, I think with those things in mind, I think it was just the right time for us. And, you know, one thing I I think people also don't realise that in the UK, no other consumer publication had a membership. We were actually the first. And, you know, going first was hard. It was very hard. There are a lot of people that laughed me out of their DMs. There are a lot of people who I might add have been featured in Black Ballad, have you know, to promote whatever they've got going on, to, you know, have, have asked for favours, said they'd never pay for it, said it would never work. And that was really hard. And I respected a lot of people that told me no. But there was no choice for us and I had to carry on. And I think being the first was really difficult. I think being a membership platform now is a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but I think being the first when you're black as well, was an added layer of complexity that I think people may not think about. You know, I think there was, you know, some people in media who kind of thought, who who the hell is this black girl thinking that she should, you know, okay. change change how we've been doing things. I think there was a there was an element of that to some people. But it worked and it's working. 
you know, we have members in the thousands now. And, you know, I'll always say that it's a team effort. It's not just me that makes this work. So, yeah, we, we had no choice to make it work. That's really it. I mean, yeah, it was definitely brave because, again, I, I just talk about getting this, this DM and thinking, this is different. You know, I had to stop and read it because I was like, this is this is a big ask, but it's bold and it's like, what's going on here? Um, and... I mean, personally, I was like, I just have to buy in because support, again, I think the idea of the community, because if I'm investing in this, then I'm I'm invested in this and I want to see how this plays out. But I think looking at where Black Ballad is now, you're like, it's it's not, I mean, it's obviously the labour of yourself and, you know, your co-founder and the growing team, but it's also down to the Black women who are like, we're going to take yeah. a chance on this. Yeah, and I think, you know, without getting too emotional about it, I think yeah black women have you know I'm forever indebted to the risk that they took by giving me their money especially you are you're an OG member you're a member from the beginning you yeah, know yeah I have my purple um <laughs> you, you <laughs> are you are one of the 273 members that bought membership without actually knowing what they were buying into <laughs> you know and I think the thing that I'm proudest of if I'm honest is that I think people did it at the beginning to support but I think people buy into it now because it's a good product. And I think that's what I'm really proud of. And I think there is a, a narrative and a rhetoric in our community that we use in terms of support, support, support. And it's something that we've tried to stay away away from, actually. If, I don't know if people have actually noticed it. We, we don't say support anymore. We, we As soon as the crowdfund was done, I literally said, no more use of the word support is a business like we need yeah. to make sure we're serving also it's a business and it's a service we're serving black women the way they deserve to be served and I think the fact that I don't think people buy it just to support it anymore is something that I'm very proud of but black women truly power black ballad and I think that black women have shown that when other people don't value us we will put the value back in ourselves and I think that's something that I'm um, really honoured to be able to I guess lead and yeah black women I as I said like there is no black ballad without black women in so many aspects or it be you're a member or you're a writer or a creator that works with us uh, one of the team or you know it's you know when we have our Monday morning meetings it always comes back to is there a black woman out there who's going to receive this and receive this well, you know? So even, you know, the reason why we do it and the ideas we come up with and, you know, if we say, oh, there's a section of black women here, like, whether it be, like, via age or region, they're the inspiration for what we do day in, day out. Amazing. I I think you've mentioned sort of the OG number, which is about 273. And I just want to come to that moment because you went out saying we need people to sign up. And I guess there was a figure you were trying to hit in terms of not just the number of people, but the financial number because you wanted to make this a viable platform. Yeah. What what was the reality of the numbers of people you got to sign a versus the expectation? Or, you know, what, did you not have certain expectations because of your understanding mm -hmm. of what you were trying to do? So originally we said, should we get a thousand members? That was very silly because we didn't really do, see, this is where I didn't prepare. So oh. I then, we weren't getting a thousand members and I then went to research digital members of like magazines. And I realized, I think, funny enough, the publication that had the most digital members at that time was Waitrose magazine, I think, which is very Ooh. weird by like Vogue yeah they give you a free coffee every morning I, yeah. I don't understand why they have that <laughs> and, <laughs> I I think, 
and I think they had like about 3,000 digital members, like roughly. And I was like, yeah. if they've got 3,000, I'm not going to get 1,000. Like that doesn't make sense. So then with the financials, and I think the, what we had to raise was like 10,000 pounds. That would be enough to get us going. Yeah. And, you know, so that equated to about... 230 to 250 members so we said let's try and get 250 members and or like 10,000 pounds whatever is fine and you hit that number ended up getting 273 members and I think the total was just under 12,000 in the end wow that was yeah so yeah wow that's I think yeah that's I mean that's really amazing to sort of understand the reality of the market which is but then, you know, re, I guess, pivot to understand, you know, what is it we need to start? Because I think often people can get daunted by, oh, if I don't get, you know, focusing on one figure where there's, you know, there's different variables to what starting looks like. And you start from where you are, not, you know, where you want to end up, which is, yeah. which is always very hard because sometimes you see the final vision and you're like, if I can't get that final vision, then what am I doing? But one thing that I can say for Black Badge is, what you started with was fantastic, but the way it's evolved and moved and transitioned and continues to transition, you think this is not just passion, but this is obviously working. And as you said, planning, show, mm-hmm. like being showcased throughout the um, platform. Now, you, so you got the 12,000, you're like, we're starting this business. What was it like for, you know, yourself coming from freelancing, which to me, I want to hear what freelancing was like for you to running a business. So let's start with Toby, you know, moving out of working within industry that is already quite um, unfriendly to black women to then freelancing within this industry. What was the reality of that transition, transitional period for you? You know, freelancing was the way I got my foot in freelancing was I wrote about race. That was all people wanted to hear. People didn't really care about other things I had to say. It was race and race only and I the thing is it was I'm genuinely passionate about that so I didn't really care but I did know I was getting pinned and hold but however you know people probably don't know this I only went full-time on Black Ballad in 2019 August Wow. Um, and I only you know so I've freelanced the whole way to make sure because obviously you know we pay writers and creatives so I couldn't take a wage from Black Ballad so I had to continue to freelance in order to make sure I could pay the you know the pool of freelancers that we had at that time so I've freelanced for a long time and you know when you need to make money because you're doing your passion it was kind of like so this is what people want from me I'm gonna do and do it well and also, I was also very, you know, I think a thing for me as well, which was really annoying, was I think the 2013 Super Bowl when Beyonce performed. Yeah. And every white woman and her dog was writing about it. And the the pieces were so dry and dusty and they didn't really get it. And I was just like... You me, I'm right here. You can't complain. Do you know what I mean? I think you've got to make your choice. You've got to either say, I'm going to be the one to do it or I'm going to just be... So I was like, I'll be the one to do it. Like, why should they make money and I shouldn't? Like, I don't understand. So I said, yeah, I'll write about race. And I used to write about race, pop culture. And I used to really take an interest in how beauty and race came together. Not like giving makeup tips, but just how language was used in selling beauty products and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I did like like investigations into like like harmful like chemicals that were being used in beauty products. I did a lot of that for the poor, especially that, you know, and I really liked what it was 
the more I wrote about race and the more I got to know editors, the more people let me have freedom. And I started to write about other things and things that I wanted. And so it was a, it was a journey. So I had to kind of be the freelancer people wanted me to be. And then it took years for me to get to being the freelancer that I genuinely wanted to be and yeah. what I wanted. To. So freelancing was, was it, I actually didn't mind it. I also realised that freelancing wasn't, you know, it's not necessarily about talent. It's about how you work with people and it's skills that I took into when I was, you know, I'm, I'm no longer the editor. I don't, I'm no longer head of editorial Black Ballad. That's Jendela Benson's, you know, role. you know, role now. But when I was, you know, editor, the skills I learned from editors as well were really key in making sure Black Ballad was a good journalism platform. So I freelanced because I needed the money, but it was also to learn skills that I could come back, that I could take back to Black Ballad. So they, they kind of worked too far. It was kind of twofold of why I did freelancing. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing about freelancing that I learned was relationships are key. It's not about talent. If you are easy to work with and you hand things in on time, eventually you don't even have to pitch. People will give you commissions. And yeah. that was very handy because I didn't have time to pitch. I was editing Black Ballad. I also had another part-time job I was doing. So I was very short for time. So when I got into that thing of people were just literally nearly every day people were like do you want to write this it, it 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 got into an easy rhythm where it was kind of like I was saying yes no yes no I used to write my old part-time job like I <laughs> I remember literally being like I hated my part-time job so I literally do my freelance work <laughs> I feel like everyone's had that job where you're like I was physically in the office but it was you know, not me. oh not my god there. yeah freelancing was it was I guess a means to an end I think the thing about freelancing was actually painful from honest was realizing how many editors would love me to freelance but none of them was never going to probably give me a job like they yeah. they saw me in their offices white and white like let's be honest they didn't mind having me as a freelancer um so I think that was the only painful thing and I think it was maybe like a confirmation that I was doing the right, right thing that I don't think I was going to break into this industry and get a full-time job yeah in the way that you wanted to yeah. and I think yeah that's quite it's quite a hard lesson to think like to uh, to know the value of your work and know that it's valued but you know bringing you fully into you know an industry where you're like my work is resonating and it's doing thing, you know it's doing what it's called to do but I'm not allowed to fully step into an owner space within this industry because you you know you think you have ownership of it you know like someone else has decided what that looks like and then standing in and creating your own space your own space and owning it I guess it's the best rebuttal to be honest you know <laughs> rather than writing a thing piece about it saying actually I will just build mine as they build it and they will come or yeah so oh, my train of thought has really just gone <laughs> so many places yeah no so just talking about sort of freelancing as teaching you you know the skills of relationship and being an editor and I think it, it's really interesting to hear about how much you were juggling all the way till 20 2019 because I'm fortunate to have written a few pieces for Black Ballad and I think I've written under yourself as editor and gender as editor I think you know in that season I would never have guessed you know Toby was doing so many things I was like oh you know she's just that Black Ballad Black Ballad is fully like the way I'd put it and I think when we talk about business and leadership it's you know those moments where you're like I have to put what's going on in front of me ahead of what's going on behind me because there's you know there's always a whole other world you know going on outside of ourselves even you know within our career spaces again don't be doing other work at your part-time job but also do if it's not serving you um, <laughs> but uh, yeah like you know bringing yourself into the present present of that work and I want to talk about how you've been able to do that for Black Ballad all the way to growing the team into what it is now so that you've been able to even step back you know six years into what the iteration of Black Ballad now you know take on motherhood which is 
Yeah. <laughs> it's like four full-time jobs and continuing to see Black Ballad grow and develop. So what, what you know, beyond your relationship building, what skills did you think, what skills did you have to learn on the journey to being a business force for Black Ballad? So not just editorial, but the business of Black Ballad. I had to learn what did good hiring look like. That was that's first and foremost. I had to learn that. Mm-hmm. Learning how to manage people and understanding that you can have a management style, but different people need different things and understanding that if I was going to have a team that truly worked well that that I'm actually the person that has to adjust actually not necessarily my team when it comes to managing stuff like that I guess on the day-to-day so I I head up probably like the commercial side so like I'm constantly learning about commercial advertising what does good partnerships look like negotiation I also do I guess obviously like financials is something that I I don't love but obviously I have to have an eye on what is going on in our bank account making you know I have to make the final call actually on is this too expensive is this worth doing is this worth the money and Mm -hmm. always thinking about yeah money's coming in from here but if I do this what does this look like so just having I guess you know I, I don't think I'm financially irresponsible but I think you know juggling the finances of a company is slightly different to your own personal finances you know I have to make a decision the truth of the reality is I have to make a decision every every day on a yes or a no to working with a company or a financial decision because there are six people including myself who have rent and mortgages mortgages to pay so I would definitely say management hiring negotiation just what commercial skills look like and definitely financial skills in a business sense they're just some of the things that I have learned probably not a lot more but I think those are probably the most important that I've learned yeah I think one of the things I'm always afraid of is money because I'm like I don't know what happens when I see numbers my brain just stops except if it's in my account I'm like well it mostly goes out Um, I don't know how much is coming (laughs) I'm going through this phase where I just keep shopping and I'm like you have to stop but I think when it comes to literally I was like I need to see my accountant at the end of April and we're going to have a very tough conversation but I think yeah one of the things I think that yeah that's I think really integral to business is like you think okay this is money for the business but money also means you know people who are working within this business get to live and it means we get to keep the lights on for six small months and I think that you know the logistics of actually thinking about money and thinking about strategically is something that as much as you can go to school and learn it I think until you do the practice of it and I think that's one of those entrepreneurial things where like if you want to learn money run a business really Um, I think sometimes you know I think one thing that I have learned is that you know my expectation of running a business was like everything decision will be you know if it's how do I put it I think my expectation was that there'd be no hard decisions right that to make decisions with ease and like I'd only work with this company if they're this that and the other but sometimes when you're looking at your bank account and you have people to pay you decisions are a lot harder and a lot more complex and nuanced than I think the timeline would give people credit for and obviously there are some hard lines that you have to say no to, of course, and we have them and everyone in that, you know, everyone is on the same page of what we will say no to and what we will not do. But there are some things that, you know, I've said, mm, I don't know, thought I'd, you know, mm, maybe, maybe not. And then you look at your bank account and you think, oh my God, I have like 
40 freelancers to pay this month and you know there's this bill and you know our tax bill was huge this month and I was like this decision makes financial sense how can we make sure it makes sense for us so my expectation when I ran Black Balance was that all decisions would be easy and there'd be no there'd be no great areas but there always is there always is yeah so today you put out a I think it was on your Instagram stories so this is how much I spend you know stalking our guests and it was talking about when the Keisha the Sket story came out and you talk about having to explain to your investors why engagement had gone up on that day and what you know the premise of this story was so let's talk about just investment in Black Ballads so he talks about the crowdfunding when did Black Ballads seek investors and where did you find investors? Good so we've been on an investment journey for like maybe like 18 months two years because when we funny enough we Bolo and I thought about investment and the stats are horrible when it comes to investing in black in black entrepreneurs and you know I am CEO the stats are worse when the female is CEO so we always said it was a no for us and then um, I had a conversation with someone that I met. So our tech team are, are outsourced. And, you know, I had the guy that owns the tech company that does all like the Black Ballad tech said, I'd love to meet with you guys. We used to meet him like, you know, every six months just to catch up. What's going on? How can he help us reconnected? And he introduced us to a guy that was a commercial director at a very well-known media house. I won't say what it was, but if, if you say the name, you'll know it. Yeah. And he was talking about Black Band. He said, this has such potential. And he was like, so, you know, who who's doing it? And I was just us. You know, we pay some freelancers. And he was like, you're never going to grow. He was like, you need a cash injection. And he was like, have you guys thought about investment? He was like, no, no. And he was like, you should go for investment this is a really good opportunity and that was 2000 and I'm gonna say oh god 18 I think so this is a long time yes 2017-18 and it sounds really but because honestly it was like this white guy had said you guys should get investment it was kind of like maybe we can't maybe and we thought about it for a year or so and then we said yeah should we go for it should we not this that and the other and then in 2019 or 2018-19 um, my old university, King's College, they run a like an enterprise, sorry, an accelerator scheme. So it's like businesses. If one founder has been to King's or is currently studying at King's or a working member of King's, you can apply for this accelerator program. You get you get office space, you get uh, workshops, and one of the things that they teach you about is investment, and you get to pitch for investment, and you get to pitch for some free money. We got on the program, and I think. Being on that program in 2019 and that conversation we had a few years earlier, we really kind of figured out, okay, we do need investment. Jendela Benson was part-time at that time as well. And, you know, I pretty much knew I needed her to be full-time. We just couldn't do things like social media. Like our social media has improved because like we just have hands. Like, we, like, Someone else, yeah. Like, I think people, like Black Ballad is such a complex business that people don't actually know. Like there's so many moving parts to it that we just weren't, between the three of us, and Jenny was part-time at that time, there was just not enough bodies to do everything. We were kind of, you know, I think we was releasing like maybe three pieces of content a week, you know, yeah, it was, we couldn't really run events regularly. Yeah, so we just said, okay, let's, let's pitch for money. So then in 2019 spring, we pitched for investment at this like big pitch day, didn't get anything. But the picture is amazing, apparently. Always the response, and you're like, but give me money. It's always the response. And then someone at King's had passed our, our investment yeah. deck. 
yeah. onto another like another accelerator investment company called Founders Factory. And they had a media department and they said, you know, like, do you want to come in? Do you want to pitch? And they said, we really like this. We think this has like got such great potential. So we pitched the Founders Factory in um, June, July, and we ended up getting on the Founders Factory program in August. Mm-hmm. And that allowed both of us, myself and my co-founder, to go full time. Yeah. And, you know, this is called, you know, beyond all my expectations. I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be full time. You know, I'm going to. It's good, you know, I'm going to be able to give my all to it. A week before we started the program, I found out I was pregnant, and I said, oh. <laughs> I said, yeah, this is, oh. this is what these white men, you know, put their money into. And I hid my pregnancy for as long as possible. Because <laughs> I think, you know, it was just like one day, I mean, obviously, there's the culture of not showing or not telling people about your pregnancy, but yeah, it was yeah. one day, it was like, well, drop. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> because it felt like Black Banner did not skip a beat, a beat. So that was, it was yeah. uh, commendable. But it's also, you know, it, I think it's also sad that particularly like women and founders, you have to sort of have these contingencies of, oh, I can't be, or what will my pregnancy say to investors as, as though mm. pregnancy is this handicap where it's, you know, it's just an expansion of who I am. Yeah. But, you know, when you look at the stats, women are less likely to get investment. Black women are the least likely to get investment. And then yeah. I was pregnant. It sounds really sad, but, you know, I'm a dark-skinned black woman who, you know, I'm not also, you know, I wasn't born into, you know, a family of entrepreneurs, you know, my family quite working class. So there's, it's a whole other language that you're learning as well. So I'm just getting up to speed on the language of investment and making these connections and I'm pregnant. And I'll be honest, for a minute, my, I felt like my world stopped. Like I was like, I don't even know if we're going to be able to do this anymore. And yeah, I just kept my, I kept it, regardless of investment, I would have kept my pregnancy private anyway. Yeah. But it was, I, I, I hid it all, I hid it for as long as possible. And then the good thing was the person that looked after us in this, like, you know, it found us factory. She was a woman. She was a, you know, she was a mum. She was very, you know, she was very kids first, work second. And when she found out I was pregnant, she was very supportive and she made sure the whole team was on board with my pregnancy. But, you know, to prospective investors, even though they didn't invest in us anyways, completely hit it, completely yeah. hit it. Didn't even, even there was another female investor that was like kind of talking to us, but now nah, it was just literally a waste of time in the end. Even her, even though she was saying all these things about, you know, women and, you know, black women, I was still like, no, I'm not going to tell you I'm pregnant. I, I don't need another reason for you to say you're not going to invest. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, um, investment has been hard, not just because I had, you know, I had my daughter in 2020 and was pregnant in 2019, but the numbers don't lie. The stats are not on the side of, you know, black founders. And I think when it comes to investment, I think that the layer that is missing, I've, I've said this so many times, you can be a black founder, but when you're a black founder that's creating a product for the black community, it's even more foreign to investors because they are looking for you know products and services that they understand and that they need and they think yeah. are going to work and to tell you know white investors that the black community need this product and want this product to them they just don't get it it's not relatable and even I'm going to say I think some black men don't even get it actually you know because black probably you know black ballad is very female focused and a lot of the questions we get actually is 
why are you not doing it for black men? And we actually have a solid reason why. Black men consume media very differently, actually, if you are really in the media, you know, um, space. You know, black, you know, men, sorry, they, you know, they find their media community, they find their media communities around sport and, you know, like other interests like cars. It's not necessarily lifestyle and identity. So it doesn't quite make sense for us to replicate you know, black ballad for men. You know, we 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 say this, and you know, we have examples, and even some black men. And I, I'm going to say two of our investors. No, three of our investors are black men. So there are some some of those that put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. Of them just don't get it. And then like you know, one thing as well that I've said in my you know founders newsletters that go on Sundays. Life is about unlearning, right? So yeah. a lot of investors, whether they be white, black, Asian, they come from these mainstream investment companies and it's all about scale. And, oh my God, we want to invest in something that is going to reach everyone in the world because that's how we're going to make our money back. Yeah. Where Black Ballad is so uncompromising in that, it's kind of like, well, you're still going to remain small, right? You're, you're, only, reach, you're only reaching black women. But even to me, that, that's so stupid because... We're not the minority of the world. Yeah. You know, there's also this this thing I always say that why would I even, even if I wanted to create a publication for all women, there's so many out there. Like, there's so many out there. I'm never going to be the dominant person. But there's nothing for us in Britain and in Europe as well. When we think about, you know, black women in Europe, you know, we are black Europeans. It's an identity that I don't think we've really delved into yet that I'd love for a black ballad to explore. And I'm just like, black ballad isn't just a good thing for the black community. It's actually a, it's actually a solid business idea. And yeah. I think that's been something that's been very hard for me, actually, that I've learned that, you know, I was very uncomfortable presenting it like a business because I was like, oh, I don't want to take advantage of black women, this, that, and the other. But then I realised, like, no, like, that's not the way to think about it, actually. The more businesses, I think, obviously, capitalism, yes, we know. But I think, you know, I want to create an, a place where black women can be employed and feel great and I looked after. I like the idea that we are able to help, you know, you know, we're paying, you know, 30 freelancers on a month, whether it be from writing or creatives, and then we're paying, you know, black women good wages, good good salaries. I, I like that. And I feel yeah. fulfilled in that. And I think black women have not been paid their worth either. So I'm happy in creating a business that treats and pays black women fairly. So when I, I had to switch that mindset when talking to investors, because I think before when I, I was really timid about, oh my God, it's a business. And I, I I felt really uncomfortable with that. But investment has been hard. It has been, I think it's been more demoralizing than when I was trying to break into the industry, actually, because mm. I think an investor said something to me. And I think this was, this was just the frustration that she's seen white founders do less with more resources you know black ballad hasn't actually ever had you know we had the crowd fund that we did which was like ten thousand pounds but outside that we've paid like over through like 300 350 women i think at this point or much more based on just making this product we've never had a cash injection and now we have you know there's six of us on salaries and that's just been constant build-up from everybody's bedrooms we've never you know, there's been media, you know, we, there's been media, you know, companies that have started for women and they've been able to have like 
some of them have had like five million pounds worth of investment. Yeah, from and then, yeah, and they're not even here today. They're not here today, and we're still here. We're growing, and people still don't think what we do is good enough. And I think that has been quite a demoralizing experience. But you know, my co-founder reminded me, you know. This is because white people just don't get it. And white people, they are the, the the makers and breakers of the investment world. So it is what it is at this point. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so disheartening to hear about, you know, this investment journey in the sense of, you know, people not recognising, you know, black women as a global force that can, you know, literally create um, and sustain a business because one the reason black bad is even coming to their tables is because black women have sustain have been part of the sustaining you know power of the business and it's also because this business is serving black women it exists for this reason so this is the niche re- reason and you know people are invested in it and because people are not being able to see that because they can't see themselves so it's very interesting this idea of having to see yourself in a business because i'm like i don't see myself in uber but it's a great business and we see why it makes sense i don't see myself in delivery but so and these ideas of what we have to see yourself in i think it's it it's a ter- it's i think it's still very terrible language that's used in used in you know the investment sector and it's really just something that means that I think black businesses are always having to start from within. And I think luckily there's a very strong within in terms of community, but you know, sometimes community needs some help. Like the part of, you know, what makes the world go around is that we help each other. And I, yeah, I, I'm just hoping because I, I've been lucky enough to, you know, work with founders and have conversations. And this, this you know, a lot of times the conversations I have with white, particularly male founders versus women or, you know, black female founders, I'm like, wow, this is, we're having very disparate, disparate, um, experiences of the investment mm. cycle you know because you know what people some people series a's are i'm like for that idea that's great fantastic let's see how this goes and you see another idea and you think how how have you not just been thrown has money just not been flung at you but again we just hope there's revolutions in the investment space and you know we see you know companies like ysys and we see some other work going on where it's aiming to help I guess black founders really you know engage with the investment space and you know showcase that there are so many different products that are coming out and emerging from you know black markets and you just hope that you know there is a change in the UK industry over the next few years. You know I think if Black Ballad is able to be a success that will help those. Definitely. Also you know I also know that to truly serve this community I have to understand that Black Ballad is also a building block there will be somebody that, you know, builds upon and bigger, better. And I'm okay with that, actually. I'm fine with that. You know, I, you know, I might, I think I understand that for me, serving Black women in the wider Black community is what I feel like I'm I'm supposed to do. It's the work that I feel that I'm actually... So I think if we can be a really successful business, if we can be a really successful media company, we open the doors to other people because I wouldn't want any other black female founder to go through this. Even though I know that, you know, we all talk in the space, many of us are, but I would hope that our this this cohort of black female founders that are existing, you know, and I exist, you know, you know, I see myself, you know, I'm with, you know, Afrocentrics. You know, I'm with, you know, Rook Hair that's come up that's new. Yeah. We're kind of all the same, I guess, cohort, I guess you would say, of black female founders that are, you know, raising. I would hope that this is the last where it's this hard. I hope that anyone that's after us is much easier because hopefully we'll be successes. Yeah, I, I mean, that's the hope. And I, I even think, you know, back to you know, the foundation of Black Ballads and where we are now in terms of the landscape of 
black female founders I'm seeing and there has been an uptake and I I think beyond just the investment cycle I think one thing black ballads and its existence has done is shown you know black women that do it you know like do it and you know we will rally around you and I think you know black ballads has been one of the foundational businesses that's done that to say you know what there is space for you to exist as an owner you know of your product and and we're seeing so much diversity in, you know, the products, you know, obviously there's the hair, makeup, but also people are thinking differently, you know, things like what, like Black Girl Fest has, what has been and is becoming. And we're seeing so many of these different layers going on. And I think, you know, part of the legacy of Black Ballad is even just over the last six, seven years is inspiring more Black women to just step into ownership of their business and products. And hopefully the long term is we see investment then follow because Black Ballad has stepped into the space ahead of these businesses. I hope so. And, you know, my hope is I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to invest in people at one point. Yeah. That's something that I, you know, me and my, you know, my husband, I think that's something that we both would like to do. We think there's some great black businesses out there that kind of need a cash injection. If I had the money, I actually would. So, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, I think also that's a thing that I'd like to do as well. I'd like to actually invest in you know other black businesses and especially if there's any you know in five five ten years time there's any other great black media you know yeah outlets yes I'd love to see how I could support that financially that's the hope that I think yeah that's the hope for all of us and I think you know we've come to a perfect place just to talk about you know what the future of black ballad looks like because I see that there is going to be a call for a crowdfund. Is that right? In, am I right in saying that? Yeah, I, yeah, we were talking about it and I was like, I should have just done this from the beginning, like in terms of if anyone's going to invest in Black Ballad and understand its need and what it can be as Black women. So when we, this is released, we're currently crowdfunding. We are going to be crowdfunding for a six-figure amount. So a lot more than the £10,000 that we did in 2016. But we've come a lot, a long way. You know, it's, Black Balance has evolved on so many levels now. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's important that we do this, this crowdfund because I think it's also about showing that, you know, when people underestimate the economic value of Black women, we will show you that, you know, it's actually you that's overlooking us, not that we don't have this money and don't have this spend. So crowdfunding... You know, we've done it before, we're doing it again. So, you know, let's, you know, hopefully, I'm hoping people are going to be like, you know what, let me put my money where my mouth is, let me invest in this good business. Yeah, I'm actually very excited about this crowdfund because I now actually have money <laughs> to give Black Bad. I, I think I remember seeing the announcement and went, I'm just going to put this money aside. But I think it's, you know, it's been nice to see, I think, I think going back to maybe your foundational, you know, members and see you know that hopefully we've grown as black ballad has grown and are going to be able to continue to be part of the journey because i'm I, I honestly went to my account and i was like let's just i was like so we're not buying that bag uh or giving it to black <laughs> yeah and it, you know what i think even the conversation that black women are having yeah so many black women also want to think about making you know i think we want to financial gaps you know when yeah. we're in the gaps in terms of how much men retire on and you know how much you know, the difference that women retire on. And then you see like the, you know, the race gaps when it comes to financial security. I think black women are becoming more conscious and being like, yeah, I, I want to retire in a, you know, secure way. And, you know, you have to have a combination of, you know, saving and investments, right? And I yeah. think even from that standpoint, I think for some, you know, some people that invest in the crowdfund for them, this is their first, you know, investment. And it's like, 
I'm investing in something that's genuinely serving me and something, you know, that I believe can be huge. So I think even from that perspective, it's a great thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, just, you know, going off that, I think looking, having been part of or invested in the journey, I you think if you look at BlackBerry, you think this is a solid place to, you know, invest in because look what it can do, not just for the consumer, but again, you talk about the team and paying salaries. It's, you know, it's giving people a chance to live lives and, you know, and make money off something that's a passion for them. But it's also work. Again, we talk about things in business, you know, I have to exist in this world. And I think that double layer of being part of this beautiful black ecosystem is one of the you know best parts of investing in a project like this because yes I think we're talking a lot more about investment and I think there's so much language out there but for people investing for the first time I I think it's always a good thing to say what am I passionate about what's the output and you know where you know what's this community serving and I think if you start investment from that space you know and this is me and them being like hopefully we can go into an ethical beautiful world that's probably not over there (laughs) That's not where we're going to go. I think it's too late, capitalism and all. But I think, yeah, thinking of investing from that space, I think, you know, a project like what Black Ballad is looking to do. And and I say looking to do because I don't even think Black Ballad has scratched, you know. We have not. <laughs> no, sure That's what it's going to do. And, you know, I think obviously pandemic, you know, shifted a lot of things. But we saw, we've seen so much great content come out in, pandem- in the, I guess, pandemic era of Black Ballads. I'm going to start calling everything pandemic era. But just, you know, the video content, you know, the articles, the workshops, the... I know you had a cook along recently. We had a cook along. We've done like food. We've done like we've even delved into like video series with food. We've been doing a lot more beauty. <laughs> that I, well, I saw the tan and I was like, to be honest, I shouldn't. It's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, tanning and like, yeah, we did. Yeah, we're we're doing a lot, and that's I think that's the beauty of having a team, right? We are ha- we have a lot more like people to do different things and I think you know when you look at it in 2018 so we've come so far yeah Um, I'm excited and as you said we haven't even scratched the surface of what in my mind like even the team they don't know like but what where I see it it it, it, is huge where where I I see it it, it's huge it's it's huge it's it's not just online it's also physical Oh, wow. Yes, to physical. Also very styled a physical company right now. So this is part excitement to just be around people um, who are excited about the same things. But yeah, so thank you so much, Toby. Like, I think this has just been a fantastic conversation about the journey. We've explored, you know, the financials, explored the media landscape as a black woman and we've explored you know invest or raising investment while pregnant I mean we don't need touch touch on that but just the connotations that has for the investment space what I want to move on to now is you know what's hot in industry and I think what I pulled today is just this quote and I think it really talks back to your early experience within the media landscape and this is a quote from the women in journalism survey which I think occurred over one week last year that just looked to explore you know inequality in the media landscape now what a quote that was called said newspapers have shown no desire to change in the 20 years I've been in in them because they do not have to no one holds them to account. And when I was reading this report, I mean, it, it, over a week, it looked at, you know, mentions in the front page. So how many women were, were given the bylines for front pages and how many black women. It, and the statistics were very stark. And we think about 2020 as a year where there was a lot of conversation around race, around gender, 
our own identity and as much as there was a lot of talk the people were being given the chance to have these conversations seemed to be the same people whose you know performance was critiqued is very is a very sort of or what's the word i'm looking for it's like when you're in a twilight zone where you're like we're having one conversation and you're basically just having it back at me and not really making any changes i mean thinking through the statement no one holds them to account is this true for black ballad in terms of accountability how does black ballad and you know outside of what marie marie claire or, or you know vogue how does black ballad hold itself or what's the accountability for black ballad that makes it you know different from the publications yeah. that have come before so we're in constant conversation whether you know when you become a member you have like an onboarding form so what do you want to see like so we look at the things that so if this is what black women want to see this is what we should be producing more of right so even you know and like we've, we've had surveys you know so just for us it's important to understand what black women want and then that leads to accountability constant dialogue through you know surveys you know when we have events was always feedback forms of like what was good what didn't work what could we do better even in our virtual events we still do feedback forms so for us that's where the accountability lies is constant conversation of asking people's opinions and what could we do better and what do we need to improve upon and also you know not ignoring what was said on social media you know of course some things you have to kind of be like okay cool but you know I think that's you know we have people that come in our dms and they will say you know this or that and we take we take it we take it really seriously and you know we also really closely watch what black women are talking about and what they're feeling and what you know how they feel towards things and we try and make sure you know you know example for me is that you know I was writing a newsletter a few weeks ago and a lot of black women were talking about Mazim Mohammed, the guy that died in Wales at police, yeah. that had police brutality. To me, accountability is that, well, that's what black women are speaking about. That's what they want to hear about. It's not for you now to write a newsletter about what you want to write about or what you feel is on your mind. So it was, okay, cool. This is what black women are speaking about. This is how they're feeling. And I think another example of that was even Sarah Evans, that there was this conflict yeah. feeling. And, you know, it was a feeling that I felt myself actually but black women you know we have a slack group as well for premium members where they're all you know they're talking about you know conversations and how they're feeling I think that's there's a balance of what should have what what are we putting out which we're scheduled to put out we we should we want to create having a private slack group always being really conscious of what's going on in social media and having you know this dialogue through feedback forms and data that's how we're held to account you know, and we take those three streams very seriously. And so sometimes you see that accountability come out in the founder's letter. Sometimes it comes out on social media. Sometimes it comes out in statements in terms of what we are planning to do over the next course of some months. We have a membership, so we are very accountable to black women. So we don't even have a choice. Like I say we're not accountable to anybody. Yeah, like if I'm honest, the only people I don't feel accountable to are people that are not black women. Uh, yeah. <laughs> people not black women at being at dms and say like oh you know I, I read this and i don't think we've responded at this point i think we just keep it moving like we yeah. have that energy and we have that time so we feel very very responsible to the black women that make us keep us here thank you before i pose my next question i do want to say if you want a taste of you know what black ballad is toby's newsletter every sunday evening is just a fantastic look into what black ballad is and the type of storytelling and the depth of storytelling that's told so if you you know if you are not if you're still on the fence and want to you know a little 
guess, teaser, just go on the Black Ballad website and you should be able to access, I think, what, one or three articles a month? Three, three articles a month to email address, yeah. Yeah, three articles. And I think Toby's newsletter is just a fantastic insight into, you know, the work that Black Ballad has done and continues to do. My second question just around this topic about accountability is, and I, because I don't think there is no hope for the media landscape, but what do you think might be the hope for the media la- landscape in terms of, you know, changing the normative to be more reflective of you know reality essentially yeah I mean it's definitely making sure that there is you know diverse hiring going on and it's not just race it's cross religion you know we look at what's going on you know in parts of Europe to you know uh, Muslim women well there should be I would you know I would hope that you know publications are connected with Muslim writers or have Muslim staff members you know who can talk to experience regional accountability not everything goes on in London yeah like something that Black Ballad has been drumming on about now like we are not the center of the universe so making sure you have diverse hiring so you reflect what the world looks like I think one I think and also look at Brexit it was it's you know news reflected London yeah it did not reflect the true state of the country because if it did people may not be surprised because people who weren't in London felt disenfranchised by everything being surrounded by London and they wanted change and they voted for change and don't get me wrong I do believe there are some people who are inherently racist that voted at leave but I actually do believe there are some people who just felt like they needed something different because they were being so ignored by the government and press and they wanted that change and they thought it was going to come through Brexit so I think region regional like stories are really important and as I said I think Brexit's the best example of when it was the I think it's been the clearest example of my lifetime of seeing media that didn't reflect the country yeah um, because everyone was pretty stunned um by the results but of course, Londoners would be stunned. <laughs> like, of course, like you know, it's it's kind of like it's kind of the equivalent to California always voting for the Democrats. Do you know what I mean? Like, of course, we were going to vote to remain overwhelmingly. So I think that's you know, I always say diversity is really important, and also I think education. Like we 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 focus so much on having, you know, our media is full of Oxbridge graduates they're not the only people that can write they're not the only people with ideas I don't think you need a degree to tell a story absolutely not if if someone came in for a job for Black Ballad and they had an amazing like blog that was doing well I'd hire them in a heartbeat over someone that's just come from like a degree in journalism that has no experience like it's common sense so I think that real diversification that you know looks at so many intersections is going to be how the media gets more accountable and reflects reality Thank you. And to see a fantastic example of like regional diversity in storytelling and Black Ballads, you know, over the last few months, I think still ongoing, have hired, you know, editors from different regions and commissioned articles and, you know, telling stories that reflect obviously the experiences of Black women in these regions. But it just tells you, you know, that there are different narrative threads of, you know, even a singular, what people might assume as a singular issue which is black womanhood but we're seeing so many different threads and stories being told based on region so I think as an example you know Black Ballot has set a a really good foundation for doing it and naming it as that also because I think there's an import in naming what you're doing a lot of times and just saying I'm showing you this because you know don't come back and say the data isn't there because this is the data 
in very plain English. And I think that was one of, you know, really fantastic project. And there was also the really fantastic project on, you know, motherhood. And uh, that just also told a very interesting and layered story about, you know, the events of, you know, motherhood down to pregnancy, childbirth, raising kids. And yeah, so again, obviously I'm a big fan of Black Ballad, but I think this is a platform you want to go to to see what storytelling can look like when we pay attention, not just to diversity as, you know, a token thing, but the the nuanced and layered ways that people exist within even any group that you set them in. You know, one person is not reflective. Again, this is down to hiring. One person is not reflective of an entire experience of a race, a religion, a creed, which is why it's when we talk about diverse hiring, hire as diversity as possible to reflect you know society not just to tick a box or you know win an award which seems to be something that has definitely (laughs) (laughs) shocking uptake in that um since 2020 but please stop it okay so we're just going to close out um thank you so much toby i think this has been a really insightful conversation i'm always very happy to hear people's journeys um also the struggles so i think you know it's nice yeah. to see how people are born from their struggles because I think, you know, there's, I think we take many rebirths through entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. That's the word I'm looking for. And, you know, who we come into and, how, you know, how we continue to come into ourselves when we step, particularly as you've done, like basically on a ledge and said, I'm just going to jump and we're going to, you know, the ground's going to rise up and catch us and we're going to keep building, you know, from where it catches us which is a very terrible analogy for what Black Band is. It sounds very morbid. No, 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 I get what you mean. I get what you mean. Yeah. It's great. Um, um, it sounds morbid, but you know, I think it works. I'm, I'm sticking by it. I'm sure there's an American writer somewhere that would stand by this. I think Tony Morrison probably would have written something this dark. Yeah, to close out, I think, yeah, just as we close out the show, is always, you know, talking about expectations, our relationships with expectations. I think, obviously, from what Toby said, it's all about for her planning. You know, you don't, you don't expect... Or was it plan expect to, oh well no I, I can't remember. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. There we go. So like obviously that foundation from education was really important, has been really important for you. But I think what I want to ask you is, you know, in this in this season of your life, you've talked about motherhood as throwing some of, you know, the planning out of your life. What yeah. has it been to have to plan differently because I'm not going to say you're no longer planning well what has planning differently looked like for you in this new season I think I also planned so much because I think I had a lack of you know I think I lacked still lacked confidence I think I was still winging it and I think I planned so much yeah I could grow confidence I think lack of planning actually because of my daughter and you know (laughs) yeah and just one motherhood is super time-consuming and and like any mother I'm besotted by my child and I want to spend time with her but I think it's also given me self-belief actually like so if I'm if I've got something if I've got you know a talk or you know I've got to write something there's a there's more self-belief now because I'm like no Toby you've done this like you know I had a talk on media the other day and I had to remind myself Toby you know like you run a media company (laughs) a media company you did memberships where nobody was doing memberships like yeah there's been more self-belief I think in lack of planning and I didn't expect that but that's definitely I think what lack of planning has done in a weird way I think I think that's really interesting I think I'm going to go on a ledge and say you know being coming into motherhood you sort of think about I think when you're when it's mostly just you you think I can spend four hours on this because you know what else am I going to do but in the sense now you're like I'd rather spend three hours with my daughter so this one hour I have it has to be enough because the three hours are more important like not you know actually no they're more important 
than what's on here. What's on here is good enough because it's come from me. But that those three hours, those are the be- those are going to be the best hours. Ripping on motherhood, having never had a child. <laughs> No, no, you know, motherhood is different to any, to different motherhood. I don't think anything has redefined my expectations more than motherhood. What I expected from motherhood, what I expected from being a working mum, I think having my daughter definitely redefined that for me in terms of, yeah, I think she also redefined my purpose, redefined how I saw Black Ballad. And so, yeah, I think motherhood has been probably the most defining experience of my life, actually, so far. I would definitely say so. It's a it's a trip. It's a trip. As I say, if you, if you want kids, recommend it. Don't recommend doing it in a pandemic like I did. I I feel like you know that's a whole different conversation. That's another like two hour <laughs> conversation because. But I think you know let's end here. And I love you know what you said about you know the, your growth and self confidence has sort of not reduced your planning, but you know your self confidence has come up as you you know planned less. And I think that's obviously part down to experience so we're not going to negate experience but there comes a time I think when you need to step into your experience over you know trying to plan yourself into a hole because you if you have the foundation you know and you've built a strong foundation like you have then that's something to always make sure you come back to rather than having wanted to always start from scratch when you're doing something new thank you so much for the conversation today Toby it's been again just fantastic to chat with you listen to you and hear from you final thing I do want to ask is where do you want people to find you on socials and also the business so yes it's www.blackballad.co.uk black ballad is all in all one word Black as in the colour, ballad is in the song, no R, so yeah. And socials is at Black Ballad UK, so UK across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you want to follow me, my socials are I am Toby Ordain. So yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for Toby and thank you for listening. Again, this has been Beyond All My Expectations and see you next episode. Goodbye.